Good morning, One Chapel. Hey, my name is Brent Parsley. I'm the campus pastor for One Chapel Kyle, and I am thrilled to be here with you today hanging out. Listen, if you're here with us, would you join us by jumping in the chat, say hi, tell us where you're watching from maybe, and just interact today. Feel free to talk to each other. Feel free to, to shout amen. Feel free to give a thumbs up, Just respond to what you're thinking about, and let's enjoy this online experience together. All right, everybody? Hey, let me ask you a question as we get started today. Have you ever had somebody try to push you to do something that you didn't want to do? I think all of us, if we think about it, we've all had that kind of an experience in our lives. A lot of times in your teenage years, growing up, feeling peer pressure. The first time that I remember it happening was when I was a young kid and we went to Disneyland. And my dad did the thing that a lot of dads do, which is he wanted me to be brave and ride a roller coaster. And I'd never been on one before. So my dad says, hey, do you want to ride the Matterhorn at Disneyland? And I said, no, I don't want to ride the Matterhorn. It looks big and scary, and I'm not interested. Well, being a good dad, he said, well, you're going to ride the Matterhorn. And so he took me by the hand, and we went through the line, and we sat in the little bobsled car, and I sat in front of him, and we rode the Matterhorn together. And I would love to tell you that it was a wonderful experience, but actually, I screamed and cried the entire time. I have visual, I have all these memories. I can see it happening, the tears streaming and the screams coming out as we're riding by the big Yeti that was scaring me to death. And I'd love to tell you that then, after that experience, I was really brave, but I wasn't, because the reality is, is that the result of that push was that I didn't ride another roller coaster until I was in college. And it was only the love of a woman that got me back onto another roller coaster. Because we were on a trip to Kings Island with our college. And so Maria was on that trip and I wanted to impress her. I couldn't be a wimp. I had to get on all the roller coasters. And everybody, that turned out really good for me, actually. But sometimes I think what happens is there are moments where a push where, where force is the way to go. And then there are moments when force is not the way to go. If you're just joining us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We've been in this series called The Jesus Way, and it's been a really challenging series for, mo- series for most of us. But we've been camped out in this verse, John 14, 6, and it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So these three descriptive words that Jesus uses, he says, I am way, I am truth, and I am life. These words are intricately linked together. You can't separate them. So the way we've been saying it is, when the Jesus way joins up with the Jesus truth, that's when you get the Jesus life that we all desire. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't just get to say, well, I like the truth. I like doctrine and theology. I like to study, but I also like to live any other way that I like. Well, that life is not going to bring about the Jesus life for you and for me. So we think that the fact that Jesus puts this idea of the way first in John 14, we think it matters. The way of Jesus is the way that we practice, that we understand the truth of Jesus in our homes and workplaces and families. And then that enables us to step into then the abundant life that Jesus wants to give. So Jesus as the way, it doesn't mean style. That's not what we're talking about. It doesn't mean preference. It's not a generality or or like a a vague pointing in an upward direction. I'm following the Jesus way. It's nothing like that. Because Jesus deliberately chose the way that he would live. 
He was prayerfully and attentive to Scripture. So that means if we're going to choose to follow him, then we have to be just as prayerful and attentive because there's tons of ways to live out there that aren't the Jesus way. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So whether we like it or not, we have to choose a way. And we're just trying to remember to rediscover what the Jesus way is and make sure that we all choose that way. So in the Gospels, before Matthew and Mark and Luke, they tell us the story about the way of Jesus, they actually all show us the ways that Jesus is the way and the ways that he's not the way. Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended attended him. Now, these three temptations that Jesus experienced they, they clarify from the very start of Jesus' earthly ministry the ways in which Jesus was going to do his work as the Messiah. So through his responses, he shows us how he's going to go about his messianic work. This work of the comprehensive reconciliation of all things, the, the kingdom of God coming into the earth, this comprehensive work of salvation, redemption for everything and for everybody. So this is what we're trying to look at closely in this series Because Jesus' responses here are showing us how we should walk in the Jesus way and help us make sure that we don't walk in some other way of our own choosing. Because who we are in Jesus and what we're called to do in this life, that should be pretty clear to a lot of us. But how we do that, the way we go about that, those are the questions that we're trying to figure out. So again, notice when the devil tempts Jesus, he doesn't try to get him to renounce his calling to choose something simpler, to deny the baptism that had just happened or avoid the responsibility that he had. The devil doesn't do any of that. He seems content to leave the end result, the goal, the purpose, the grand work of salvation. He leaves that as is. It's uncontested. No, the devil's temptations are devoted to the ways that are best suited to get to those ends. He's tempting him on the how. It's a pretty profound idea, and I think really interesting. And so if the devil's going to work to mess up the ways of Jesus, you better believe that he's going to work to mess up your ways too. He's going to try to get you to follow some other way that's not the Jesus way. So today what we're looking at is that second temptation in the passage. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The second temptation here is jump off 
the roof of the temple. Now, isn't it interesting that the devil is using the temple and the scriptures to tempt Jesus? He's using these good things to try to get Jesus to go the wrong way. And the devil, frankly, he tips his hand here. He reveals his own way. And the devil's way is to use Jesus, to amaze people on the street below, do a miracle, like show these people some excitement, entertain them a little bit, Jesus. Show them what you can do. Prove to them who you are. Listen, Jesus, this is some of the best marketing and promotion that you are ever going to get. A lot of us have had this experience. If, you're, if you've ever been clip, clip jumping anywhere, maybe at Lake Travis or a lake where you are, and you've been standing there and you've got a buddy drinking hand saying, go ahead, do it. Just take a jump. Come on, man. This is what the devil is doing. Come on, Jesus, take the leap. They're never going to forget it. This is going to change their lives. For years, they're going to tell the story to their kids and grandkids about what happened. Angels came and rescued you. Everyone's going to know that God is supernaturally at their beck and call. You can do that, Jesus. The temptation was, show them who you are with some incredible miracles. And what could be better than a career in miracles? Like entertaining the crowds and bringing them some excitement, pushing them forward. In essence, you can basically force them into believing that you are who you say you are. And honestly, the, def- the devil, he often tempts us to do the same thing, to use Jesus. Use Jesus for his miracle potential. Use Jesus like some people will use drugs or alcohol or sex, thrills, Netflix or social media. Use Jesus to relieve a little bit of the boredom in life. Make life a little more interesting and maybe just a little bit better. Make it feel better. Package Jesus up and use him for a weekend diversion. And there's no question, everybody, that Jesus wants us to live an abundant life. John 10.10 says that. It says the thief comes. He does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is what Jesus wants. For sure, there's so much joy and beauty and wonder in the way of Jesus. But the temptation is, use Jesus to feel good. Use Jesus to avoid pain, first for yourselves and then for others. Use him as some kind of entertainment that makes life better. Use Jesus as some, some sort of an impersonal rescuer. He's distant, but he's helpful. Use Jesus like a hobby that adds a little bit of needed color to our otherwise drab lives. Use Jesus as a manipulation to distract us from just the ordinariness of this life. Give me a little excitement. Entertain me, Jesus. You know, in America's entertainment industry, we are second to none in providing escape from the ordinary. We've got loads of ways that we can do this. And honestly, you know it can be really helpful. I really enjoy entertainment. You get energized. You get renewed. You feel like you can go back into work and do what you're supposed to do. But, but entertainment in excess defeats what it set out to do for us. I can't tell you... I should say I'm embarrassed to tell you how much time I lost to the show Lost. I binged that show like I had meetings that I had to go to, and I skipped them. It was in my younger days. I skipped them because I wanted to stay and watch the second season of Lost on DVD. I was watching it at home, skipping out on all my responsibilities. Now, don't look down at me because you've done exactly the same thing. In fact, why don't you do this? Just put it in the chat. What is the show that you've lost a lot of time to? I also lost a lot of time to Jack Bauer and 24. 
I've lost a lot of time through my life. And you've done the same thing. So drop it in in the chat right now. Just tell us and we will applaud you or we might silently judge you or in some cases we may pray for you. But put it down in the chat. Let us know. Why do we do this? Why do we watch these shows? It's because we want to find some escape. And careful observers will warn us that, that we are entertaining ourselves to death in our society today. So as you think about the devil's temptation for Jesus, he certainly could have done it. He could have entertained. He could have jumped. He could have proven who he was. So why didn't he do it? Jesus refuses to entertain, just like he refused to entertain Herod Antipas. Uh, Here it is in Luke chapter 23, verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard so many things about him, and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him, nothing. Herod wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. Jesus stayed silent. He refused to entertain him. He refused to use any sort of manipulation. He refused to forcefully prove who he was. So think about it for a second, everybody. The miracles that Jesus performed are truly amazing. Raising dead people to life. He's walking on water. He's turning water into wine. He's healing diseases. But even more impressive is that Jesus actually performed so few of those miracles. In fact, in 33 years of his life, there are only 38 or so miracles that are recorded for us. Most of us are surprised by how low that number really is. See, Jesus never used miracles as shortcuts. He never used miracles as a a labor-saving device. Jesus, in in the carpentry shop working, he never put down the hammer and used the Holy Ghost to drive a nail into the wood. He didn't do that. When Jesus was a little kid, he didn't take shortcuts. His mom, Mary, didn't hand him a cup of water, and Jesus kind of turned it into Kool-Aid. Jesus didn't do things like that. Jesus, he didn't resist the bath water when his mom was trying to put him in. Of course, he could just walk on it. So, Jesus, get down into the water. Oh, Joseph! He didn't do that. Jesus didn't go through the marketplace and ask for a toy when he was a kid and then go home and just say, well, Mary wouldn't give it to me, so let there be toys. And there were toys. Jesus never did any of that. He didn't take shortcuts with miracles. In fact, there are several times in the New Testament where Jesus performs a miracle and then tells everybody, don't tell anyone. Keep it a secret. Why? Because the miracles weren't the point. Jesus was about something bigger. Now, the times that Jesus did perform these occasional miracles, they reveals to us that there is, in fact, everybody, more that's inherent in this life of following Jesus. There's more. It's a revelation of the, the depth, the, the immeasurable opportunities that we have as we follow Jesus in a life of love and obedience. But the way of Jesus is not about escaping the ordinary. It's a way of living deeply and fully with the people here and now in the places where we find ourselves, seeking his kingdom, wanting his kingdom to come in an incarnational and deeply personal way. This is the Jesus way. 
But it's a hard thing for us to remember because the temptation comes around again and we're tempted once more to push and use force. <laughs> you remember my story at the beginning, right in the Matterhorn. Well, I did the exact same thing to my own children. You would think that I was scarred enough that I wouldn't do it, but I did. We went to Epcot in Walt Disney World and had grandma with us. And so we went to ride Expedition Everest. And my kids, two of my kids were pretty little and still scared. And so we were in line because we got in line fast. It was like a five-minute wait. And so we're making our way up to the front. And my kids are like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Oh, but I think I want to do it. Oh, but I think I'm too scared. Oh, I don't want to do it. Back and forth and back and forth. And I'm secretly using my own force of manipulation trying to get them to go because I want them to have fun. And so we get to the very front of the line, and they're still, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. But I'm kind of pushing and forcing. The gates open up to the cars, and one of my kids runs through the gates, across the car, to the other side of the platform. The cast members are like, what's this kid doing here? Hey, you can't be here. Hey, get out of here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Both of my kids are screaming now and crying, saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I'm standing there looking at the scene with all of these people judging me. And I can see it in their eyes. You can smell the judgment. And so grandma, she doesn't like roller coasters at all. So she says, oh, I'll take them out. But it's too late. I say, no. And I grab the kids by the hands and I march them out of the way to escape the judgment of everybody that's looking at us. Well, on our way out, the kids are crying and they start to feel bad. Oh, we're so sorry, Dad. We, we ruined it. We ruined it for you. You wanted to ride it. It's your only chance and we ruined it. And in one of my finer parenting moments, I said, yes, yes, you did. You ruined that whole event for me. Thank you very much. Just wanted to teach him a little lesson. So for more parenting tips, just follow my Twitter feed. I'll be happy to help you. But the thing is, it just comes back. It's too hard. It's hard for us. Even though we've learned the lesson once, the temptation comes again, and we want to push. We want to force it again. In the time of Jesus, there are others that are giving into this temptation, this, forceful, this forcefulness. And one of the groups that does this is a group called the Zealots. Now, just nerd out with me here for a second. The Zealots are a political movement in first century Judaism, and they wanted to entice all the people in Judea to kick the Roman Empire out and to do it by force. And they were committed. They had a vision for a better world, and they were ready to die for it. And these were actually popular heroes among the Jews. So in contrast to the Jesus way, the zealots are in that culture, and they're characterized by force, by manipulating, by, by pushing, by bullying, and yes, in some cases, even killing. And it's shocking, but actually that same spirit of violence was just below the surface for some of Jesus' disciples too because they're getting unfriendly treatment in Samaritan country. And it's James and John that say in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But Jesus responds in verse 55, he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know the manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. See, it was difficult for Jesus' disciples to get this Jesus way in them. Because this model of revolution in their day looked like what the zealots would do. We're going to do this, and we're going to do it by force. And the struggle continues until the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right before his crucifixion. In fact, Peter 
Peter, when things get really hot in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter has the same response. You can see it in Luke chapter 22, verse 47, and most of you know the story. And Peter pulls out his knife, and he cuts off the right ear of the servant. And Jesus says, no. And he picks it up and touches his ear and heals him. See, the Jesus way is much different than the zealot's way. The Jesus way, it doesn't involve pressure or force or coercion or manipulation, but the pressure around Jesus and the disciples to create a revolution in that way was great because the Jews believed that God was going to send them a deliverer, somebody who would avenge the injustice and rescue them from the impression, their oppression and kick Rome out. The Jews wanted someone who would save them from their position in the world. But Jesus came to save them from their condition in sin. Jesus had something bigger in mind. 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he was here. So Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil, to set everybody free for all time. And that's the Jesus way. And that doesn't happen by force or manipulation. That doesn't happen from the outside in. That's a change that Jesus makes through his spirit from the inside out. Now, if you think about it, this zealous spirit, it continues in our culture today, and it's really hard for us to remove it from the human spirit, especially the religious human spirit. And we all kind of fall prey easily to this temptation to to use Jesus, to coerce, to push, and to force. But as a first century church pastor put it, force is not an attribute of God. The second temptation of Jesus that I think we're often tempted with today is about this. Will Jesus put on a spectacular, miraculous display? Will he show everyone the ever-present providence of God? Is he going to force his way in? Will he manipulate people into following him, but then never actually deal with them as a person? See, I think that the devil's temptation was for Jesus to say, look, I'm famous. That's what he was after. Jesus, just do it. Just tell everybody and say, look, everybody, I'm famous. But God's mission through Jesus was to say, oh, look, everybody, I love you. Had nothing to do with fame. Had everything to do with relationship. And Jesus says no to the temptation, and he backs it up with Scripture. Matthew 4, verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Why does Jesus resist the temptation? It's because the devil's way was an impersonal way. It involved no relationship. It had no love in it. It was a way that came from the outside rather than from within. The devil's way was a way that was separated from the full salvation story. It was ripped out of participation in the lives of real, actual, authentic people and relationships. And whatever the way of Jesus means, bullying and force, they don't belong to it. The way of Jesus is personal. It's incarnational. It doesn't come from the outside. The truth is, everybody, that the Jesus way is about surrender. 
It's surrender. Christianity, this life that we live, it can never be forced. Christianity, in fact, is always about permission and almost always about a process. See, God has already done all the work in Jesus. It's all finished, everything that you need. We have it already, and you and I, we just have to surrender and say yes to it. And he doesn't force you. And then you and I, we have the responsibility to invite other people in. I think that's the Jesus way, to invite other people into what God has done, not to coerce or to manipulate or to push, but just invite them into what God has already done in Jesus, in me. So as we talk about this today, I think probably a lot of us say, yeah, of course, yeah, sure, that's, that's how I want to live. That makes sense. And yet still, most often, I want God to use force. When something's going on, I want him to do it. God, do a miracle. Like, fix it. I mean, look, during this pandemic, didn't you want him to do that? Didn't you just want him to do something miraculous? I did. In fact, many people thought, well, come Easter time, God's going to show up. He's going to show up, and everybody's going to know who he is. A lot of people were saying that. Didn't happen. Pentecost Sunday, we said the same thing. This must be it. God's going to show up on this day, and everybody's going to know it's going to be some of the best marketing ever, even better than Facebook ads. And yet, he did not choose to go that way. What I found through the course of my life is that he rarely actually works in that way. Sure, on very rare occasions, God will do something miraculous and immediate in my life. That's happened, and I bet the same thing has happened for you. More often than not, He almost always moves slowly and personally and relationally, intimately. And as a result, what happens is I learn. I I, I grow. I'm formed more into his image, and and I become more the person that he wants me to be. And the situations, actually, that I want him to fix or get involved in, well, they find their healing and resolve over time. So you say, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I might even buy that. <laughs> but still, the temptation still comes to use him. What does that look like in our everyday life? I, I don't know. I think maybe it looks like you've got a coworker, a family member, and you want them to follow Jesus. And so you just tell them, listen, if you'll follow Jesus, he'll take care of everything. Your life will be awesome. He's going to make everything in life incredible. Your life is puppy dogs and rainbows forever because of Jesus. Now, ultimately, a lot of that's going to be true because Jesus is ultimately going to do incredible and wonderful things. But the truth is, reality is life is hard, everybody. And we all experience difficulty and hardship. And so we try to sell people on the benefits of Jesus rather than selling them on his lordship of your life. Now, let me, let me just market this to you so that you'll say yes. Rather than choosing friendship, walking together slowly over time, bearing witness to the person of Jesus and allowing him to work in them. Can I tell you the truth? I think in the church we do this too. I'll give you a recent example of something we were talking about. When it comes to groups, we often push you to get into groups. I think it's so easy for the American way to kind of slip in here. So we're going to give you a menu we're going we're gonna to give you a menu. We're going to have a big event. We're going to call it Group Sunday. And we're going to have weeks of marketing and promotion to try to get you there. 
We're going to try to sell you on the Jesus benefits of being a part of the community. And by the way, these are all good things. But is it the right way? We do all those things rather than maybe just deciding as a community that we are going to commit to one another, that we're going to decide together, that we're going to walk slowly together. We're going to deepen real and authentic relationships. We're going to let one another in, and we're going to let God work in and among and through those real relationships as we live real life together, as we celebrate the wins of people's lives because we're that intimate in each other's lives and know the details We're going to mourn the losses because we're actually living life with a group of people where we experience a true community of friends that God works in, his kingdom shows up in, an organic and authentic community. It starts working from the bottom up rather than being forced from the top down. Could that be more like the Jesus way? And honestly, I think that you and I, we are the keys to all of this. In fact, across our campuses today, in Austin, in Kyle, in Lake Travis, in Liberty Hill, and right here online, what if we just decided to choose this way? What if we decided to take one simple step every week over the course of September, one simple step to invite somebody else out to lunch, to walk with them, to get to know them, and to watch as God starts to work in and among and through those relationships. I want to ask you to do it. Take one practical step to see what Jesus will do as we continue to seek his way together. Listen, I know that we're not all on the same comfort level with that, but, but I can just tell you, I mean, Zoom lunch works too. So if you're staying home, that's okay. That's wonderful. But let's look for and experience These kinds of relationships, not pushing, not manipulating, not coercion, but instead, let's decide, I'm going to walk slowly. I'm going to allow Jesus to work, and I'm going to try with these people to continue to pursue his way. Will you join with me as we pray over this idea? In fact, just where you are at home, maybe close your eyes, grab hands with somebody next to you, and let's pray together, Heavenly Father, we want to say yes to the Jesus way. We ask that you would continue to teach us as a community, as a church family, what that looks like. God, forgive us for using you. God, forgive us for trying to market you. Forgive us for trying to push, to try to make people accept, to try to coerce people toward an end. God, we repent of all of that. And we ask that you would help us to now slow down, to trust you to work to build authentic relationships, work and move in those relationships and take us on a journey to where you want us to be. Across living rooms all over our region today, we say yes to you. Would you continue to show us what it means to live in the Jesus way? Now, some of you, that may be a little bit of a foreign concept. You're not even sure what that means because you're far from Jesus today. Maybe you've never made the decision to surrender your life and walk in this lifestyle of love and obedience that I've talked about today. You can fix it right now. Actually, it's just a prayer away as you surrender your life to him. The Jesus way is about surrender. So if that's you and you say, I want to join up today, would you pray a simple prayer like this with me? Jesus, I choose to believe in you. I surrender my life the best way I know how. God, I choose to believe that you sent your only son that Jesus, you died on a cross for me, and that price that you paid washed all of my sins away. 
I want that price applied to me. Would you do that today? I receive it. And the best way I know how, today I give you my life. And Jesus, for everyone that prayed that prayer, I ask you to give them the grace and the strength to continue to follow. We love you and we thank you for what you're doing. And we ask that you would help us to continue to follow you. We bless you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. I'm going to say this prayer over you, and then we'll go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. Have a great Sunday.